Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. This program is about some of the consequences of that small, pocket-sized electronic device, which as of January 2017, 95% of adult Americans own and carry. This device is commonly called a cell phone. In May 2017, estimates indicate that the average American over age 18 spends two hours and 51 minutes on their cell phone every day. Dr. Dan Gottlieb, our guest on this edition of Radio Curious on Tour, is a clinical psychologist, author, and the host of Voices in the Family, aired regularly on WHYY in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dr. Gottlieb provides clinical therapy to people who suffer from feelings of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. This condition is commonly known as anxiety and appears to be an unanticipated consequence of cell phone usage. I met with Dr. Dan, as he is often called, in the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia on October 16, 2017. We began our conversation when I asked him about the consequences of cell phone usage, especially by young people. I will tell you this, that for teenagers now, young teenagers through mid-twenties, anxiety disorders have quadrupled over the last two decades, quadrupled. And that correlates directly with cell phone usage. So, you know, we look to cell phones often for, quote, connection. And more often than not, we feel more isolated. We don't feel connected. Now, look, these smartphones, they or can tools. be lifesavers. You know, in case of a crisis or emergency. Or in case people are really shuttered inside their homes and can't get out or don't get out. I mean, these things are wonderful tools, but they can be harmful like a hammer, can build a house or can kill somebody. And, and if we're not really careful, the harm we're doing to ourselves seems to be increasing exponentially. Now, I don't want to be your average older person saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We're not going to stop smartphone usage, but I'm hoping that we develop a way that it can be used in a way that is less harmful, less addictive, so that we can get back to person-to-person interactions, and those interactions are life-sustaining. They're the difference between quality of life and not. From your perspective and your experience with cell phones and watching them come in to be part of daily life almost worldwide. 
What would you suggest would be some of the ways to retard uh, the addiction, uh, as you mentioned, hummingbirds on steroids? Are? Well, look, I would love to see us as a species start looking at the big picture here. What do we want for our lives? Most of us want happiness, but what does that mean? What are the ingredients in happiness for your life? The ingredients in, in well-being. We all want that. You're not going to get it through your cell phone. You're going to get it through human interaction. You're going to get it through an intimate relationship that, that is good. You're going to get it through compassion for others, generosity, and having purpose in your life. The cell phone wasn't on that list. So let's think about the big picture and what we really want for ourselves and for our loved ones and perhaps even the larger world. You know, Think about what we want and think about how to get there, what we need to do to get there. So are you suggesting people make a list in addition to the one that I anticipate you might offer? Uh, yeah, if it works. You know, I, I don't want to turn this into a New Year's resolution here that, that nobody keeps. But I, I always encourage people to think about the big picture. You know, and, and we tend not to do that. So that's number one. And number two, cell phones, by the way, prevent us from doing that. That's one of the factors that prevent us from doing that because it's this 15-second text and then another 15-second text. It rewires our brain so we don't think about the big picture. No, we think about the next second. So uh, what we need to do is first realize that we have become physiologically addicted to these phones. Somebody described it as digital cocaine, and it really behaves in that way. You get that quick hit, and a quick hit, and a quick hit, over and over and over again. So we have to take ownership of the fact that we have become either literally or metaphorically addicted. Or both. Or both. But at the very least, we have a habit that we have difficulty breaking. So we have to take ownership of that, number one. And number two, how do you break any habit or addiction? We have to withdraw. And you can withdraw slowly from many of our habits, but we have to bring in new habits. So we start off with a Sabbath, a digital Sabbath, where we just shut everything down for 24 hours. And we're going to have withdrawal symptoms, I guarantee. The anxiety is going to go up. Fear of what you might be missing is going to go up. But do that once a week. It gets easier more and more. When you're with somebody you care about, turn the cell phone off. Turn vibrate off and put the cell phone where it's not visible. And get that cell phone off the table. 
when you're having dinner or a meal with somebody. Get it off the table. Um, so we can do we can do those things, but we need new habits in the place of, of this digital addiction. We need to develop new habits. So during the Sabbath, you know, talk to people you like, you know, where you love. Have conversations. Go out and socialize without this equipment. Build more human interaction and more fun into your life. I'd like to talk a little bit about how uh, people can recognize in themselves the anxiety and the development of the habits with the addiction of using a cell phone. But first I want to say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with uh, Dr. Dan Gottlieb in the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia. And Dan Gottlieb has been the host of Voices in the Family for how many years now, Dan? 30. And you're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Dan, recognizing the uh, addiction or the habituation, we see it, uh, we the greater we, in going into a restaurant where there's two people sitting and they're looking at their cell phone or texting. Well, we see it and we do it. I just saw the greatest road sign. You know how they say buckle up or you, you drink, you lose, whatever. I saw a road sign that said, if you see distracted driving, hit pound 77. So if you see distracted driving, you're supposed to pick up your cell phone and be a distracted driver. I mean, who thought that up? You know, it's like it's like you can't unthink this stuff. You know, it, it was just amazing to me. Um, how do we realize, recognize it in ourselves? And by the way, we all do it. It's not we, them. We all do it. The, the same way that, that we speak in our own language. Right. Barry, what I found over the years in both my practice and in my meditation classes, People are out of touch with their bodies. They don't know what their bodies feel like. They ignore them. Uh, and, and if we can get back in touch with our bodies, just take a few breaths, close your eyes, and feel what it's like to inhabit this body. Where does it hurt? Where does it feel anxious? What does it feel at this moment? Does your heart feel open or closed? Just at this moment, you don't have to fix anything, but just feel your body. And you can learn lots of things by just feeling your body. You can learn how you really feel at that moment instead of going through your life blindly. And if you check in with your body a few times a day and you find that you're anxious every time you check in and you find that the next day, there's something going on here. You know, there, there's something in your life that's increasing your anxiety. And one of the places it's important to look is your cell phone, your cell phone use. Curiously uh, contradictory. Several people I know, including myself, uh, have a mindfulness bell that rings on the cell phone. Mindset to go off randomly. 
find myself I'm in the middle of something and there's the opportunity. Yet it's connected to the cell phone that is causing the, the angst for, for many. But like I said, Barry, it's a tool. It's a tool. I've got a couple of meditation apps on my cell phone, and, and I use them, not infrequently. Can you share with us what they are? Dan is uh, accessing his cell phone as we uh, wait his and, answer. And he's not comfortable doing it, but it highlights not just my dependency on my cell phone, but my poor memory, all at the same time. So um, one of the apps is called Insight Timer. The app you use to remind yourself is called Mina, M-Y-N-A-H. And I have another app just called Meditation. But I, I usually recommend to uh, my patients and my students this Insight Timer. It's got wonderful guided meditations. Um, and for more advanced who don't need guided meditations, it's got a great timer, and you can control all sorts of variables on that timer. Dan Gottlieb, let's stay a bit on uh, mindfulness, what that means, how an average person with a cell phone in the pocket or the purse can benefit from the time and place as uh, I'm learning that uh, that's part of your life now more than it was earlier. Yeah, um, look, I've been doing this for 20 years now. I have a daily practice, and in those 20 years, I might have missed uh, 20, 50 days. Um, so I've, I've got a daily practice, and, and what this has done for me, first of all, let me, let me define mindfulness. Quick and dirty definition. It just means observing what's happening in your life moment by moment without judgment. So, I'm sitting here right now at this moment and I'm happy to be sitting with you doing this after so many years. I feel a little bit of stress in my upper chest right now. I can feel that because I'm being recorded. I feel some pain in my shoulder. So that's what's happening in my life moment by moment. I'm not going to fix that stress in this moment. I'm not going to fix the pain in this moment. And I'm not going to be able to stay with the excitement for the rest of the time, even the time we have together. That's what's happening in this moment. Now there's another moment, and then another moment. And that's all it is, really. Now, how to do it, how to stay there, is a whole different thing. I mean, that's, that requires discipline. And I talked about habits that these cell phones create. Meditation creates a whole different kind of habit. You know, neurologists say that that neurons that uh, fire together, wire together. So what we do over and over and over again creates neural pathways in our brain. Meditation creates a different kind of neural pathway in our brain so that 
I sit there for a half hour in the morning or 40 minutes if I'm lucky. I sit there and during that half hour I might be beating myself up for something. I might be stressed. I might be anxious. I might want to get out of there and go do stuff so that maybe my anxiety will diminish, maybe I'll get something accomplished, and that helps. Um, but I sit there. I sit there with these emotions, and interesting thing happens, that if you sit there with this emotion and not try to ruminate about it or figure out why it's there or what can be done, you just sit there. Then it passes. It turns into something else. So now my brain is learning, literally learning, that I don't have to be reactive to these emotions. My brain learns that 99% of my thoughts are worthless, worthless, self-absorbed ruminations about nothing. That's what my brain learns. So now when I face adversity or if I have anxiety, I'm not, I'm not as reactive as I was usually. You know, my, I still have buttons that get pushed. But my brain has learned after 20 years that very few things in life are really a call to action. So that beep, it's just a beep. There are no emergencies, well, very few, and I'm not a neurosurgeon, so I don't have to jump at every beep wondering if it's a life-or-death situation. So I am less reactive to things in general. You mentioned 20 years. What began 20 years ago for you? Well, it was more mundane. I've used my radio show over the course of the decades uh, for myself. It's been my personal continuing education. So if I want to know about X, I invite an expert on X. You're, you're smiling, but you do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, I've been hearing a lot about this meditation stuff 20 years ago. I, I invited a... Uh, local meditation teacher who ran the pen program for um, stress reduction, it was called back then. And he came in, and I, I was chatting with him before the show, and I noticed every question I asked him, there was a millisecond pause. He didn't just jump in and react. It was just this millisecond pause, and I could see him kind of Take a breath and reflect just in a millisecond and then answer the question. And I, I was watching him doing this and I'm thinking, I want me some of that. You know, I, I want to be able to do between question and answer, between stimulus and response. So he became my first teacher. And that's what started 20 years ago. And, and in my first class, Barry, there was a woman there who had stage 3 metastatic breast cancer. The prognosis was quite poor. 
And I said to her, why are you taking this course at this stage of your life? And she said, all my life, wherever I was, I was somewhere else. And in the time I have left, I want to be where I am. Whether it's good or bad, I want to be where I am. In Tuesdays with Maury, Maury is buying from uh, ALS, and, and he invites his uh, student, his star student, Mitch Album, a sports writer, to chronicle his life and death. So in one of these interviews, these Tuesday interviews, Maury tells Mitch a story about two waves. Two waves are coming into shore, and the wave in front says, I'm scared. Ask the wave in back, are you? He says, no, why are you scared? He said, we're going to crash into the shore and we'll cease to be. How come you're not scared? The wave in the back said, you're scared because you think you're a wave. I'm not scared because I know I'm part of the ocean. That's the issue with our self-absorption. You know, we think the world evolves around us. It doesn't. We're not that important. I'm teaching a class about cultivating compassion for our aging body. And one person in the class said she's got osteoarthritis in both of her knees. Very painful. And and when she stands up, you know, she's visibly in pain. And she says, I look like an old lady when I stand up. And she says, I'm ashamed of that, what, what people might think of me. And somebody else in the class said to her, bad news for you. Nobody gives a shit about how you stand up. <laughs> You're not that important. Nobody cares. <laughs> They're probably on their cell phone anyway. Uh, so, you know, that hopefully is what happens to us when we're younger. But it's more important that it happens to us as we age. You know, and, and the brain evolves in that way also as we age. We tend to care less about what people might think of us, and we're more comfortable becoming who we are, more, to borrow a phrase, curious about the world. We're curious about people. If we practice that behavior, that's where we wind up with, and we're more connected with everyone. So then coming back around to where we began this conversation, do you have some thoughts about how to instruct or present as living examples in the family of uh, very young children to be more curious, uh, to develop that compassion uh, for ourselves that you mentioned? There's only one way, Barry. By doing it. Do it, yeah. yeah. Become become role models. You can nurture compassion in children because when they are curious, when they ask questions, and you know they ask questions, answer them or ask them questions back or what do you think about, you know, nurture that curiosity. I've got a great anecdote if, if you have time for it. We always have time. I had 
the occasion to interview Terry Gross from Fresh Air. I don't recall the context, but I'm interviewing Terry about her curiosity. And, and she said, it's always been nurtured by my parents, dissuaded by my teachers, but my parents told me that my curiosity would make me a better person, a smarter person, and a happier person. And P.S., they were right. So they nurtured that curiosity. She said, well, you see the benefit of it. My, my curiosity now is relentless. Well, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Yeah, it's, and, been, it's been my pleasure. And before we close, uh, I'd like to ask about you. To begin, a eureka or an aha moment in your life's experience that changed your life? I guess my eureka moment was after my accident when I became a quadriplegic 38 years ago. But I do want to address a very significant moment in my life, and that takes place 10 years ago, where I met and fell in love with the woman I'm with now. Now, 10 years ago, I was in my early 60s, um, and she is uh, seven years my junior. And I fell in love with this woman like I've never loved before, and vice versa. And I've experienced for the first time in my life, I'm able to feel being loved without anxiety, without fear that I'm going to be too much for this woman and she's going to leave me. Because that's my history, is my wife, other women I've been with, they left because this body was just too demanding and too scary for them. I don't have that experience with Joan. I am comfortable and at peace with her love, and she experiences mine like she never has before. So I just feel so fortunate in, in what's happened, and this is when I'm 60 years old. So, you know, as Jesse Jackson said, keep hope alive. And what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Maybe you just told us as yeah. the prelude. Well, yeah, that's part of it. And, of course, I, I want to travel best I can. But um, I want to do what I do best, and I want to continue it in, in any venue I can find. And that's simply to teach kindness. And although you may have done this, Dan Gottlieb, uh, in addition to Tuesdays with Maury, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? I just finished the latest Daniel Silva book that I love, The Black Widow. And I just downloaded Hillary Clinton's book. Well, Dr. Dan Gottlieb, host of Voices in the Family here at WHYY in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being with us uh, with, on Radio Curious on tour. My pleasure. Dr. Dan Gottlieb is a clinical psychologist, author, and host of Voices in the Family, aired regularly on WHYY in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
If you type in Gottlieb, G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B, in the search box on the homepage of radiocurious.org, you'll find several other interviews with my friend Dr. Dan Gottlieb. The books he recommends are The Black Widow by Daniel Silva and What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. This program was recorded on October 16th, 2017 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the studios of WHYY. There are over 500 editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer, and I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.